Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Hey, what's going on, everybody? I sure missed y'all. And yes, we are back at it again. I know we took kind of like another month break off. Uh, Coronavirus crap has been just all over the place, really. And uh, my job has just been very fluctuating. So it's kind of hard to sit down and plan something out for a specific day when our calendars and schedules are just jumping all over the place. And I'm sure a lot of y'all are in the same situations that I'm in. Anyways, though... Once I actually got time to sit down and come up with an episode, I, you know, the Lord saw fit to go ahead and have somebody call me to do a sermon at their church. So I actually got to go on and do my first full-on sermon solo by myself at this church, which was an awesome blessing and awesome opportunity because this was something I've been praying over, especially for when I get out of the military and what what direction I really should take to my life. And I know it's something in ministry, I just didn't know what. But after that day and after that call and then other things like my actual local church has been having me help teach, um, you know, every so often during this whole coronavirus stuff with like some Facebook live messages and whatnot. So this has actually been a huge, huge blessing and a prayer answered, honestly, in my book. I, I'm pretty convinced now uh, the Lord is probably showing me, you know, maybe... The preaching, teaching ministry is the way for me to go in the future. Obviously, I love, I'm going to keep doing this podcast. I love doing it. Uh, but it was just kind of nice to, to see a prayer answered like that. Not, you know, I hope your prayers are all going to get answered in a way in which you can see, just like me, uh, because it, it's really awesome when God speaks like that. It's really, really awesome. So now we are going to go ahead and do, I'm actually going to read to you uh, my notes and do the sermon that I gave to that church. I wanted to record it, but at the same time, it just didn't feel right to go ahead and record it and use it for some, you know, maybe I was speaking to somebody specifically, the Lord was using me to speak, a better way to say, to someone specifically over there. I just didn't really feel the need to record it. So I'm going to go ahead and do it now. Maybe the Lord will speak differently. Who knows? Uh, so anyways, I hope y'all received this message, and we're going to be going over 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter. I thought it was very appropriate because Memorial Day was last Monday, and Memorial Day really is, at the end of the day, a celebration of love about soldiers who have made the ultimate sacrifice for their country, for their people, for what they believe in. And even if they didn't, they did it in protection of people's freedoms. I mean, that's a way of showing love in a way that Jesus actually talks about. If you open up your Bible and you go to John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, No one has greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, obviously, in that passage, Jesus was talking about himself. But just like many other things in the Bible, we can take that and we can apply that to our lives today and what we're doing in love. And that is why I wanted to go over 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because the Bible talks about love all over the place, but this right here is mm, just the mm of the love. All right, so let's go over it. Uh, Before we do, let's go ahead and pray. Hey, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all, all the blessings that you have been giving us lately, Lord. Even in the midst of all this craziness, I pray this message gets out. And that people receive this message, Lord, um, and they will learn, and they'll just ultimately know what love is. And that's you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is sometimes called the love chapter, as I read the passage, I want you to just think on your life, and are we holding true to what this passage is actually emphasizing? Are we truly living out our lives in love the way the Holy Spirit guided Paul to write on it? And then after reading it, I want to look into the passage and figure out why the Apostle Paul wrote this and gain a better understanding of each section of verses. All right, so it reads like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting off at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a claiming symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But then, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I'm sorry for the dramatic reading on that, but this passage right here is just... (sighs) It is so rich and has honestly been speaking to me a lot over the past month. You know, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life in love? Am I living out my life in love? Let's go ahead and examine this. So background on the city of Corinth. I think this is this serves to gain a better understanding of the context. We always talk about that context, context, context. Get it in context. So the city of Corinth was a port city in the ancient world, and it was a giant melting pot of society, culture, religions. I mean, you can assume it was almost like an ancient time version of New York City during the Great Immigration Era. You can read about Paul's, uh, pretty much his first visit to that church in Corinth in Acts chapter 18, whenever you got time. That's Acts chapter 18. Well, sometime later, after Paul visited there, he heard that there were problems arising at the church in Corinth. So he decided to write them a series of letters in an attempt to write these problems. And that's how we got 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Now to understand this amazing passage in love in chapter 13, we can gain a much greater understanding by first examining what the issues were in Corinth. 
We can find them all over the book in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, so I encourage you to read all of them because there's a lot of good learning there, and there's still a lot of problems that were addressed then that are still problems now in a lot of more you know larger and popular churches today. Some of the issues in Corinth at the church were disunity, members were suing each other, there was immorality, sexual sins, prostitution, divorce, improper worship, ignoring the role of men and women inside the church, improperly taking the Lord's Supper, misuse and perversion of the spiritual gifts, incorrect belief on the resurrection, and lack of proper Christian conduct. This is just a general list, and honestly, we can go much, much deeper in depth, but the, these are the key things to take away from this. The key is, is how Paul addresses these issues. Now, as we dive into chapter 13, first I would like to go ahead, go back, and check out chapter 12, especially the last verse in chapter 12, because I believe this verse serves as one of the most amazing kind of segues into getting into chapter 13, and it says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. This verse is an amazing bridge, as I was just saying, to the main focal point that Paul is trying to drive home. All throughout chapter 12, we see Apostle Paul correcting the church on its improper use and obsession with what I personally like to call the showy gifts, the flashy gifts. The first part of this verse is often used out of context and used by many in saying, Oh, see, we should want the showy, flashy gifts, the best gifts. But in actuality, Paul was just correcting this notion of selfishly desiring these things throughout the entire chapter. He stressed in chapter 12 that each gift is important, even if it's not flashy and showy. Each part of our body plays a role, and the role is much more important to the bigger picture. Just as each gift is given by God in God's perfect will for the functioning and building of the church. So what Paul is saying at the end of chapter 12, and this is kind of a paraphrase, but it's along the lines of, besides recommending your zealous desire for the greatest gifts, I'm about to show you something still more excellent to desire. And that is the way of love. Now, as we first start examining verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read it for you so that way it's fresh in your head. 1 through 3 reads like this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You can look at that verse in verse 1 and apply that to today, really. I mean, many people are in the church business, and a lot of these people are amazing speakers, and they have all the charisma in the world. But if the backbone of their message is not love, then what is it? It's nothing but noise, clanging cymbal, sounding brass. And then as we look through verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So Paul is even writing here saying, if you have all these things, you're nothing. And then verse 3, this one might take a little bit of you know something to think on here, but it says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So you might ask yourself, like, whoa, so but, but if I die for this righteous cause, you know, I can do that without love? That's what Paul's saying here. And honestly, the root of that problem is pride. 
if you just love to hear yourself talk or if you're a smart, you know, if you think you're smart and you gain understanding, give, and like we just said here, even giving up your life for a cause. Sadly, our society, and especially in some Eastern cultures, have made giving up your life a noble and just thing for self-preservation of your own legacy. Die the honorable death. You will be remembered. You know, it's a, it's a pride thing. Now, I'm never going to go out and say that someone has done that solely based off their own pride because I don't know the heart. <clears throat> I know I'm going to that cop out, but it's true. I don't know the heart. God does. God knows the answer. Was somebody giving up their life to be remembered for their own legacy? Were they doing it out of love for someone else? Love for God. Love for the cause. Love for people. Love in general. Only God will truly know the answer to that. Now, in American society, we have distorted the word love so much that it has so many different meanings to us. And some of those meanings are just lost when we use it now. A famous pastor, and it's going to be John MacArthur here I'm talking about, once said that through his years of ministry, well, not him specifically, but talking to a psychologist, or he quoted a psychologist in a sermon, said, Through those years of counseling people on relationships, the psychologist said he came to see that when most people uh, usually said, I love you, they were actually saying, I love me and I want you, end quote. But, you know, you see, it's shallow then. He's talking about a shallow love. This, This psychologist got so jaded that he just almost straight up did not see people talking about love, what real love is. He, he, he heard it himself. He said, I love you, or as you were, I love me and I want you. That's what he saw when people said, I love you to each other, because love has just been so twisted up, especially in our language. So now let's move into verses four through seven. After hearing everything that I just talked about, though, previously in that, you might ask yourself, what then is love? Well, as a lot of people do know, the Greek word used for love here is agape. This is the highest form of love. It's not to be confused with brotherly love, self-love, family love, sexual love, or even romantic love. It goes beyond all that. One example we find is the love that God has for us, the body of Christ. The love to send your only son to die for sinners that are constantly disobeying and abusing the goodwill of the Father. So the question can then be posed, what is love? Well, as good Christians, we find this answer in our Bibles. And here's just a few verses that I was able to pull out that use the Greek word agape in the form of love. John 15, 13. No one has greater love than this, that someone laid down their life for his friends. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 12, 9. Love must be without hypocrisy. Arbor what is evil, be attached to what is good. Romans 13.10, love does not commit evil against a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. 
Galatians 5, chapter, verses 22 through 23. But if the fruit of the Spirit, and y'all know this one, is love, joy, the, well, I said that kind of wrong in the beginning, but the fruit of the Spirit is, here's the first one, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no such law. Ephesians 5.2, and live in love just as also Christ loved us and gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a fragrant smell. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep your love for one another constant because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 John 3.16, we have come to know love by this, that he laid down his life for us on our behalf, and we ought to lay down our lives on our behalf of our brothers. And then 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. This is the last one I'm going to leave you all with here, but this, is, this, is, this sums it up perfectly, I think. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. And here's the answer right here. Because God is love. By this, the love of God is revealed in us, that God sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. This is not or in this love, sorry, in this love, not that we have ever loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Man, that is strong. So what do we get there, especially out of all that? What do we conclude after reading all those verses? Love, my brothers and sisters, is a verb. It is an action. While we see in Paul in verses 1 through 3, looking at the emptiness of our actions without love, he then goes on to describe the fullness of love in verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let us be honest with ourselves. When someone cuts us off in the road, is our first reaction to pray for that person? Or do we slam on our horn? Maybe do something even worse. When your coworker, who's just as equally skilled as you, gets promoted over you, are you truly happy for them? Or are you jealous? Jealous because it wasn't you. When your spouse... This is a tough one here. When your spouse says something that just treats you, you know, she presses your buttons. Do you stay calm? Or do you just burst out in anger back? When you see someone who you consider an enemy fall, do you pray that they learn from their mistakes and offer a hand to help them back up? Or do you laugh at their falling and just step over them? Leave him at the wayside. Now, obviously, these are all things that every person struggles with. Christians, too. Definitely Christians, too. But the difference is that we, as Christians, have the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to respond in what? Love. But 
We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to stay strong in our Bible in order to push that out. Verses 8 through 10, love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but that in which perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Love, my friends, from there. Love is eternal. It never ends. I read it again as prophecy. They will pass away as for tongues. They will cease as for knowledge. It will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. All the signs, trying to gain understanding, it's all going to be gone at one point. Because when we are with the Lord our God, there will be no need of it. For understanding, there have been many, many debates here now. It's a little sidetrack, but there have been many debates on what the word perfect in this verse means. I'm going to use this as an example. Some say that it means the completion of Scripture. Others say the rapture of the church. Others say something different. The reason, though, and this is the sad part, the reason why many people argue what this means is because they are obsessed with proving a doctrine as true or false. And then they miss the point of the verse completely. Let us examine it, though. I think this is worth our time. In case you ever see this, come across, you come across this at some point in your life. We know that it cannot mean the completion of Scripture because we know that knowledge and prophecy, um, uh, we're going to need these gifts uh, eventually. They're still, or actually, as you were, they're, they're still going to be in operation. At least they will be in operation in the future kingdom. And you can reference that in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, and Revelation 11. Verse 3, man, I just messed that all up. I just realized what I was saying there. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. You can reference that in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, and Revelation 11, verse 3. All right, there we go. Sorry, I'm getting myself all tongue-tied up here. This is, oh, wow. (laughs) Well, we know it's not the rapture, though. We know it's not the rapture because that takes place as referenced in the same verses previously mentioned. These gifts are still going to be in operation. So after examining all this stuff, we know it's not the rapture. We know it's not the completion of Scripture because all these gifts are still going to be there in use today or they will be at least in use in the kingdom. So I believe it is then safe to say that when the perfect comes, the perfect can only mean the eternal state when we are finally face to face with the glory of God, as it is stated in Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 through 4. It reads like this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will need no more light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Ah, cannot wait. Cannot wait. Okay, let's move on to verses 11 through 13. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Think back to your life. 
I remember as a young man growing up, I used to think that I knew everything. That was way smarter than my parents. Oh boy, was I wrong. Even further back, I used to waste so much time as a kid when I should have just been studying my Bible and fellowshipping with others. I was instead hanging out, playing video games, partying, drinking, whatever stupid stuff the world or my friends thought was cool. But as I got older, I grew in grace and knowledge. I put those things away. And Paul is using this, this contrast here between life on this earth and life once we are with the Father. It's the big picture. And in the next verse, he actually goes on to explain that. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now at first read, you might be like, Man, that's kind of confusing, Tim. Uh, but you know, for real, this is, uh, this is deep. This is deep. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2-3 through three talk about this. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as pure. In other words, we cannot see the love of the Father and what he has prepared for us fully yet. We are still veiled in this human flesh that is obsessed with sin, while our spirit has been born again, our flesh is still of this world. But once we are in heaven and we become perfect, oh boy, <laughs> I cannot imagine the understanding is just full on amazing that we will experience being made perfect in the presence of God. Seeing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for a wretched sinner like us. Now, as we near the end of this, I really feel like the last verse is sufficient enough on its own without any commentary if you really dig deep down into it and just meditate on it. The beauty of these words cannot be overstated. I'm serious now, y'all. Meditate on this. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Thanks, y'all, for your time. Um, in everything we do, do it in love. Because that's honestly, I'm not trying to sound wishy-washy or sissy and all that stuff. It's just that if there's no love in the background of it, even if you're given something tough, something hard, something stern, which is something we need to do at times, we have to remember to do it in love. All right, y'all have a great one. Peace out.